welcome to the Rista Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by my business partner, Janet Gunter. Hello. <laughs> and we have quite a lot in the show today. Um, It's funny because we talk about not being interested in the shiny, shiny new gadgets, but actually we have some of these very gadgets that will be featured today. So please stay on. But before we get into that, Janet has been following a phenomenon that really troubles us uh, in London. And I'd like to hear more about it from her. Yeah, well, we both have, but um, and we've actually both been involved in our respective communities. So you live up in Camden and I live down in Lambeth. And um, down where I am, um, friends of mine, users of a local library, um, have had to occupy it. Um, to, it was scheduled for closure. Um, the council claimed temporary closure. And there's a vague plan to turn it into a health and community well-being center, which will be some kind of gym or paid access facility with some with a kind of automated library service. So like a shelf of books and some kind of machine where you can check books in and out. Um, just to say that this library, the Carnegie Library, is an absolutely spectacular building. Um, it's one of the most beautiful libraries I've seen. Um, it's right next to Loughborough Junction, where we were uh, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, Loughborough Junction is a really, it's an intersection point at this point. There's a lot of um, child poverty and deprivation and um, violence, gang violence in that area. But there's also a lot of obviously very motivated people, um, people who want access to learning and knowledge. Um, and that library, it's really interesting because it's at an intersection point where you have quite a few privileged people living around it and you have the community of Loughborough Junction, some of the estates in Loughborough Junction right near. The new so, shiny, shiny Brixton versus the Brixton Maybe, yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's people have been like, the, I think these phenomena have been unfolding for quite a long time, like in terms of the different demographics in these areas. But The point is the library provi provides this really amazing, radically open meeting space. You know, and as somebody said at, at, on the weekend when I was there, you know, it's the one place um, where you don't have to pay for some hot drink or some thing to sit down and read the paper, meet somebody, uh, go to a writing or reading club. Um, or a chess club. We met the, I met the leader of the chess club there, and he described it as a center of knowledge. And I really like that because I think that libraries do need to evolve, clearly, right? I mean, it, we live in a different world. You know, it, we do live in a highly digital world, but um, there's a real role for books, and not just books, the librarians and the people that animate the libraries, that make them really live places. So, um, We're not going to get involved into the political ins and outs of this, uh, well, ostensibly a conflict over the closure of this library. But to say that libraries are closing across the UK at the moment, I, I, somebody cited a figure of about 300 libraries that are threatened with closure across the UK. Um, and it's not just down in Lambeth. Yeah, they, I think that libraries can become different, like can evolve as spaces of knowledge um, and of, of skill sharing and community. And for us, I mean, they've been really great venues for restart parties, natural venues for restart parties. And, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And actually, 
while they need to evolve, there's a sense of respect for the role that they used to to play. So when we hear of projects involving a gym, a nursery, or whatever else are taking place in in a library, it's all okay. But let's not forget that they are used as places for people to congregate. Well, and, and to I think that also we have to recognize that um, there are loads of gyms and they're paid spaces. Like, and the whole point of a library is that it's a radically open space um, and that everyone should be allowed to go and to use the facility. Um, but so it's not it's not just libraries that are under threat. So part of my mini rant this uh, this afternoon, you know, it's funny, we don't actually rant that much, do we, on this show? But part of my mini rant is that it's not just libraries that are under threat. So community space across London is is getting the squeeze. And we see this, um, the communities, uh, the community workshops that we'd like to work with, for example, um, well, there's one in Brixton, um, it's called the Remakery, and it has yet to to really sort out, uh, you know, funding so that it can really o- open w- to the wider community. Um, and there are a number of projects which have massive potential, but th- for us, the barrier is that we can't necessarily afford to pay to use the space, and they can't afford to pay to keep the space open. So, I mean, some of the community centers, Ugo, that we go to are really fabulous community spaces, and they're 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 going to live or die based on their ability to fundraise. Isn't that right? Yeah, and they're the. Sub- the public support continues to decline and in some cases like the one where we have wonderful events in Tooting manages to survive based on different models which I'm sure will continue to emerge but at the same time there's questions around what are the community spaces that in some neighbourhoods are completely disappearing and we've seen it personally I've witnessed it in Camden where we've run some of the best restart parties that we run over the past three and a half years have been in uh, upstairs room in pubs that were acting as integral parts of the community life of na- neighborhood in parts of North Camden and you know some of these are fairly affluent neighborhoods but still some local spaces where people can get together and do a non-commercial activity like a restart party or a film screening or documentary screening. Yeah, it's true with those activities. I mean, you can you can just you can even just go for an ask for some water at the bar if you like. There's no obligation yeah. actually to consume at those activities often. And, and we appreciate that uh, staff uh, and that the management of this uh, spaces uh, venues need to survive as well, but we see it again and again the more of these pubs that had an extra space are either trying to convert it into flats or just closing it down. And there's at least three venues in Dartmouth Park, in South and Green, in Hampstead and in uh, Belsize Park that used to be places where we hosted our events, including our very first Restart Party back in 2012, and are no longer available for communities to use as a venue. And this is very troubling. Yeah, I mean, and these are obviously like... It's it's funny because like the, those the places you mentioned maybe Dartmouth Park is a slight exception but like the, the, those neighborhoods are fairly well off I mean Absolutely. like why uh, it it just boggles the mind that that there can't be a business model that there can't be a business model to you know to sell food and beer and whatever else and and still subsidize a little bit of community space and actually I'm sh- I mean, the thing is, I imagine it's probably pretty good for a pub business. The question is whether people want to cash out on the assets they have. And that's also what we see the council's doing, in a sense, is saying, okay, this stuff is worth too much. Um, We can't just let it, you know, the the pressure is too great on these community assets. And it's something we're really watching, and it really affects us because – 
our project from the beginning has been to create a, a radically open pop-up space where there's no obligation to pay anything and where everybody can come. And um, I, mean, I kind of think to myself, like, what is the point in, of living in a city if we don't defend those spaces, you know, what is the point of, um, you know, of, of share, of sharing, of being squeezed and, you know, sharing all these facilities together, if we're all just going to, you know, scurry from the office or our job or school to the, to the, to the home. Plus it projects like ours depend on reaching out to as many people as you can. And what better place than a place where people congregate, uh, for all kinds of other reasons. So we can't just always look for, a community, a self-entitled community space where people that know that community space will go, but no one else necessarily. We need to be right where people are. And we can't, uh, you know, reserve community activities like ours to just specific hidden places where yeah. communities run their things or or meanwhile spaces now as much as temporary you know ones, the, yeah. as much as a temporary or a meanwhile space you know a 6 month lease or a 12 month lease for the you know or a container uh you know con- container uh, offices or whatever that's great um for some people but we need to we we need to have some assurance that there will be space for us to meet going forward for us some of our most steady venues are probably churches right I mean, yeah. you know, it's really if you think about it, what are the what are the places where we know we can return? Well, they're membership spaces that are willing to open every now and again yeah. to the public. It, it would, and I guess a church could qualify as that as well. Because they're places that come with a community. So you yeah. know, like a container or a temporary pop up shop actually comes as itself empty, completely empty. It doesn't come with a community of people that will be part of it. And that's why it's crucial to actually be in places there are the community, there are the center of the community, but they are fading out. And so we need to protect them, we think. And I mean, as our, just to close, I mean, we started... We started literally just in our back garden, in a, in, in, a, in a pub near you. And in a community library, which is struggling even today there in you the go. same neighborhood. And it seems to me that like the, the reason we've been able to kind of almost unleash this, you know, this or, you know, this small little repair revolution within London has been precisely because of the diversity of spaces we've been able to pop up in the diversity of communities we've been able to link with. So it's, it's absolutely crucial going forward. Let's put it this way. You can't fix and maintain all of your devices if you don't also maintain the spaces where repairing and collaborating and co-creating our future are no longer available. So it's all connected, even if it might seem like just a rant. (laughs) (laughs) We are on Resonance 104.4 FM, and this is indeed Restart Radio. And as I said at the beginning, even though we don't normally focus on the new shiny, shiny gadgets, this time we will for at least a little bit. And um, yeah, so last week was, as you all know, April Fool's Day. And we thought that a lot of big news that was popping out on our social media timeline was all about bizarre, um, fake uh, announcements of products. And to be fair, there was one such product um, which came to our attention from our good friends at iFixit, which have a tradition in coming up with insane ideas for um, April Fool's Day. And what is this idea, Janet? 
Well, I mean, everyone everyone is run into people trying to get motor their way down the pavement on one of these hoverboards. I don't even know how they can be called hoverboards because they're just like these little wheeled. I don't know. They're not hovering. Dangerous and they're things. Aboard. Yeah, these dangerous um, things. And of course, I'm sure everyone has also heard that they spontaneously combust sometimes. So iFixit came to the rescue with an amazing solution and I will play a tiny clip from the brilliant video that they put together for this. Just grab and go with your smother bag. When your board starts smoking, simply stop hoverboarding, hop off, unfurl the bag, put the flaming hoverboard into the smother bag and smother that chick. The smother bag. You've got fire safety in the bag. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure plenty of people tried to buy this product straight away. Uh, we know <laughs> that at one point, Amazon had stopped selling and recalling massively lots of hoverboards exactly because... Yeah, I mean, the, sm- the hoverboard story, more than anything, I think says a little bit about how insane the kind of... How quickly the production cycles uh, go in terms of somebody comes up with something fashionable. Uh, loads of them get made in China. And the competition even within China is so great. Um, and but no one's actually really doing the quality control here yeah. anymore. So um, that was a funny story for and sure. So yeah, this motherboard actually. I mean, this type of bag. The idea makes a lot of sense in case you do need to protect yourself from a fire originating from a little lithium battery in any oh, of your gadgets. Oh, just to say though, for those who are sitting at home, a lithium fire is extremely dangerous and will not be taken care of by any bag. And you definitely, of course, don't want to put any water on it. So, What would um, you put, Janet? Uh, well, there are apparently a couple of fire extinguishers that are strong enough to deal with lithium fires. I think I've also seen uh, recommended that you just like dump a dump loads of sand on top of them. Basically, don't start a lithium fire. Be very careful with lithium batteries is the lesson. Great. So following up to this, and it's quite hard, we thought, to find something quite as incredible. But actually, we came across something that sounded amazing and yet sounded like the perfect April's Fool's prank. Yeah, really. I thought um, it, this story came I, It came to my attention on April 1st, um, the $700 juicer that is internet precise, connected. To be precise, it's 699 Okay, so this, the, <laughs> the $699 juicer that only functions when it's connected to the internet. And the, the piece that we saw was a Vanity Fair feature. Um, and I really, I really thought this was an April Fool's joke. It's called Juicero. It and sounds like a great idea. There's this big long story about how um, how sleek looking it is, and how it was reportedly designed with help from Johnny Ive, the Apple design guru. And I thought that was what the alarm bell for me was. Surely this is a joke, like a juicer designed by Johnny Ive. Um, but then we looked, and there's other stories about it, and it's actually real. And isn't it also that this juicer got a huge amount of venture capital investment? Like, yeah. Like massive, massive amounts. Um, 100, 120 million. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's maybe that's not lot. that much. But to for us, a, is a lot. For a juicer? Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. this is just a. Well, what would you, how would you categorize this device? Well, let's face it. Either it's the so called IoT, Internet of Things uh, world, is really taking over us, and Wi Fi is the new water. So if, or someone is seriously 
taking us hostage to a dystopian version of reality because I appreciate that you can have a machine that reads the QR codes of products and gives you a very nutritious juice and all the rest of it fine. I believe that Wait, something Wait, sorry, that can, can we rewind? Can, what, what does it do? <laughs> Literally, you scan You can something. scan um, like a QR code and it will produce a juice perfect for your dietary requirements. Something crazy as that. But I, where would I get the QR code? I print it from the internet? I mean, the whole thing is just preposterous. Okay, yeah. okay, continue. The packets required to make a glass of juice, by the way, range from five to ten dollars each so seriously (laughs) i mean we have a problem here even if we convert that into pounds it still means somewhere between okay seven so this is like the nespresso machine yeah of 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 juice but seriously why would anyone want to have something like that at home and pay ten dollar every time they want to make a juice that surprises me so you're you're creating it from a packet it's not even a juicer where you put okay your own you know piece this of fruit just it's just around very strange but you know we need to be aware of these things because they might come in a, a different form and shape next time okay. with a different name a commenter on our facebook page wrote in commenting on this he wrote If this is what mankind is expending its efforts and investment capital on, we deserve to die under a toxic landslide of e-waste and micro-beads. Actually, considering that they were quite successful at achieving $120 million investment, which, let's not forget, it's about £80 million, more or less, if I'm not wrong. Maybe a little more, but yeah. Yeah, so that means... Uh, you know, it reminds me of an event that I attended um, last week where investors on hardware projects were talking about the importance of slick, beautiful looking projects that they really get behind projects that have this kind of vision of creating something the beautiful. The Johnny Ive design. Well, maybe okay. Johnny Ive wasn't involved this time, but, you know, you look at pictures of this product and it does look beautiful, even though I don't understand why I would want one. I think it's got some kind of aluminum thing on the front, which is maybe reminiscent of, uh, of a certain company that we always talk about's products. So if anyone involved in Juicer wanted to explain to us why this is revolutionary um, and why we should actually change our mind about it we'd love to hear from you okay moving on we had another interesting okay the third the third of our absurd devices at Um, least this one is cheap and this one is also real and it's also real and it comes from a completely different part of the world straight from japan and it is the electric fork which simulates a salty flavor by shocking your tongue. Now, it's a prototype, to be fair. This is a prototype. Okay. And the prototype costs about 2,000 yen to produce, which means just about 12 pounds or so. So it's quite cheap, worryingly so. And it includes a rechargeable battery. And it's designed for people who have problems that cannot ingest quite a as much salt as yeah, other so people. Yeah, so maybe people with high blood pressure or something. Yes. Okay. And so imagine, so it has three different levels of electric shock that can provide inside your mouth. And I, I started visualizing the sound of this and 
you know, imagine you're starting to put a bite in your mouth and you start hearing. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it does make a sound. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I started wondering whether it might have multiple functionalities. So deal with mosquitoes in countries where it might be needed. Okay, now you're now you're going. I'm exaggerating, but okay, at least it is not an Internet connected device. So in a sense, not yet, Ugo, it's a prototype and they probably need to raise some venture capital. So careful what you say. Look, all I've got to say about this is that I don't want to live in a future where we basically all drink Soylent and like somehow fool our neural reflexes into thinking that we're actually tasting nice things. I mean, you know, we've got to like, I I think it's great that there are so many projects to kind of help people become healthier and I'm not going to knock those, but like, let's think about the real quality of our lives I guess this goes back to my slow food beginning of Mm. my career. And so, you know, let's try to enjoy everything in moderation, including electric shocks. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to talk about a couple of devices now, things that either um, we have experienced or we would like to see in the world in the spirit of not just sitting here knocking shiny, shiny new things. So, Ugo, um, it was your birthday Yes. Tell us what you got for your birthday. I'm very, very lucky that someone saw that I had a very badly aging watch. Yeah, your watch uh, was a bit of a shambles. Yeah, it was over 10 years old and it was literally falling apart beyond repair. And if I tell you so, it's probably accurate. So my wife got me a special present and it is a smartwatch. You think it's an April's full, but actually it's yeah, true. Yeah, I can't. But, I kind of couldn't believe you got one, but okay. Tell us about your. But okay, it's watch. a smartwatch that tries to be not as much of a smartwatch as others. Let's put it that way. So someone might have heard of the Pebble Watch, which actually is a company that's quite struggling at the moment with their electronic ink um, smartwatches. What this means is that it's designed not with a touch screen, but it's designed with an electronic ink screen, just what you have on your e-readers, and which means that it doesn't use electricity for, for just displaying uh, the time, only when it changes the pixels that show you what what time it is. Yeah, that's a cool idea in theory. I remember, And I remember when the first one, I even remember when the first one came out, it was on Kickstarter ago. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and they continue to do successful Kickstarter uh, projects. So, and this watch allegedly lasts 10 days between charges. We'll see if that's true. Okay. And I can report that as a result of this, now um, I get a reminder of a, an appointment of a phone call that I need to make 10 mm. minutes before on my uh, on my wrist, which with your <coughs> punctuality, maybe yes. Anyway, I think it's crucial to you know keep the notifications that pop up on your wrist to a very minimum, and uh, I will report back. But the the good thing about this is. One, from a design perspective, it uses regular standard uh, bands. So, for example, if you need to change the band, you don't need to go crazy and find crazy screwdrivers. You can do that quite simply. And also because it doesn't have a touch screen and because of the way the company designed it, it's extremely repairable and easy to take apart and spare parts are available. So okay. it and goes in the right direction. And I also, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do remember, is it the first generation of Pebble that it, it, there was a question about whether there would be an update for it, whether whether Pebble would support it? 
you know, support it software-wise on and into the future. And I believe that they finally did release an update. It took them a while, but they did. They did. And so they brought the new features of the newer generations back. They backported them to the old one. So they, they do things quite well. So good okay. for them. Let's hope that they will continue. Uh, they, they, they had to lay off some people recently. So we hope that their project will continue to Well, that's to the grow. risk with some of these projects, right? You buy some hardware and it may be very durable or repairable, but if, if the model isn't there to sustain the software behind it. Um, anyway, Pebble might be the company that would just turn it over to the public to maintain potentially if they had to. Um, okay. And then we had a couple of other, well, things that we were going to discuss, um, things that uh, we kind of that we suspect uh, exist, but maybe only at a higher price. So one of the things that we keep seeing, and this for us would be a big innovation. Um, I don't have curly hair. I don't use a hair straightener, but a lot of women do. And it's a, like a, you know, a real part of just the morning routine. It's a device. It's a, it's a gadget that gets a lot of use. And we see loads and loads and loads of hair straighteners that all fail in the same way oh. on where it's basically the hinge where, where the power cable meets the actual iron, and it a lot on a lot of them, it's designed as kind of like a a bit like a, a, a it's at an angle so that so that so that um, they can the 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 hair starter can be rotated around easily, yeah. um, but that always breaks, and we have noticed that on the professional versions, on the really expensive ones, um, there's kind of a removable uh, power cable. And um, we 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 actually found also in the UK there's a couple of repair companies that actually there's a business model for repairing the the more professional higher spec yeah. hair irons the ones we see at our events there's I I can't tell if there's a business model for repairing them and frankly I think it's a fairly simple design decision I it would be interesting to learn more about this yeah I mean we know that some of these products are repaired by commercial providers for twenty four ninety five. Uh, pounds and at times probably if people buy the products at the cheap end of the spectrum they're probably costing not much more than that repair but then again it's the usual question of should you buy for durability should you buy to reduce to increase resource efficiency or should you buy for cheap and buy often yeah so and for uh, for us um, a real innovation um you know more than a 700 dollar juicer might actually just be a cost effective uh, hair iron that's going to last um, yeah and a similar point can be made about another type of product that we see all of the time at our events headphones and the main problem with headphones is the mini jack cable so people come with a wonderful at times very expensive headphones and only one of the two channels work and repairing that is possible and it's a beautiful learning opportunity but at times it's very fiddly and well, depending and it's, it's out of the reach of the vast majority of people they don't have have a restart party they can go to. So our piece of advice in that respect, when you, if you need to shop for a new um, pair of headphones, why don't you look for those that have a plug-in and uh, replaceable uh, mini jack extension? So yeah, there's a, and there are a couple of brands that do that. Um, yeah. that uh, you know, Sennheiser does. Sennheiser has Audio more Technica does some as well, and they tend to be more professional models. But then they mean that they're also more flexible, and you can yeah. use them for longer. So that's just our. So for advice. us, real innovation is actually sometimes quite simple. And uh, we're moving to the very end of the show, and we can't finish uh, Restart Radio without mentioning the upcoming events. There is quite a few restart parting coming up. Um, the first one is this Saturday, 
in Hackney as part of We Week um, by Hackney Fixers. And it's at the Dalston CLR James Library in the education room, which is on the second floor in Dalston from 1.30 to 4.30 p.m. And next week, we have two very interesting events. First, we return to the Kentish Town um, Community Centre on Wednesday the 13th in the evening from 6. And uh, coming up at the VNA on Friday the 15th, we'll be part of an event called Digital Futures Dreaming Zero Waste, which will feature a debate panel with repairs in Nairobi, followed uh, by a restart party. So check it out we'll put the links on the site as always for all of those events you can bring along anything with a battery or that plugs in and you'll get help fixing it and learn something in the process so look for what's no longer working or driving you crazy and bring it to us this was Restart Radio you can learn more about the Restart Project online at therestartproject.org or on social media at Restart Project thank you bye